1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Our stories include China's industrial output was up by 4% in the first four months. But what does it reflect of China's economy? And UK and EU inflation are at record high as food and energy prices soaring. And now let's begin with our top story. Official data show that China's industrial output rose by 4% year-on-year year in the first four months of this year. The National Bureau of Statistics also says the country's retail sales of consumer goods went down 0.2% during this period. The authorities say economic fundamentals remain unchanged. CGTN's Dai Kai Yi has more.
2: The world's second-largest economy posted the latest growth figures on Monday. With data from industrial output, service sector, and investment on fixed assets dropping compared with the first quarter. But officials are upbeat about China's future economic outlook.
0: The fundamentals of China's long-term, steady and sound economy have not changed. The factors supporting high-quality development have not changed. And the characteristics of resilience, great potential, and wide space have not changed. With the support of efficient coordination of various policies and measures, for epidemic prevention and control, and economic and social development. China's economy can overcome the impact of the
2: epidemic, gradually stabilize and recover. Imports and exports are up by almost 8% compared with the same quarter last year. But with uncertainties like geopolitical tensions and COVID-19, officials say there is a growing downward pressure. Due to those negative factors, the International Monetary Fund downgraded the global growth expectation from 4.4% to 3.6% in April. Against that background, officials say continued growth is achievable due to the development of China's free trade zones and the regional comprehensive economic partnership. Since the
0: beginning of this year, we've intensified the adjustment of policies to adjust and control on a macro level. We've continuously exerted the fiscal and financial support for the real economy, effectively implemented the combined tax and fee support policy, and comprehensively various monetary policies. We've reasonably maintained abundant liquidity and increased support for industries facing difficulties. The
2: effect of those supportive measures will continue to manifest. Meanwhile, market sales declined by two-tenths of a percent year-on-year, but the upward momentum of basic living goods consumption in online retail went against the broad trend. Officials say when the latest domestic wave of COVID-19 is contained, consumer spending will be back on track and contribute more to the overall economy. CGTN, Beijing.
1: So for more on this, join us on the line now are Chiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So welcome to our show, gentlemen.
3: Pleasure to be here, Chow Yun. Thank you.
1: So Aina, first, the China Statistics Bureau released a series of figures about the economy in April. So what is your analysis? How do you see these numbers coming out?
3: So it was uh, more or less to be expected. Uh, The issue, though, is if you have to start looking long term, um, you know, let's just take, uh, for instance, inflation. Inflation in China was 2.1 percent. Measure that against the U.S. was 8.3 percent, EU 7.5 and the U.K. at 9 percent. So that gives you an idea of where things are on the competitive. Also, people should be thinking about uh, these kind of global geopolitical regions. Uh, that are emerging in the, in the you know as WTO has kind of been marginalized you have america north america uh, canada us and mexico then you have the eu and then you have uh, china and southeast asia now the only one of those three trade areas that's complete that has both markets and production is asia And with RCEP, this is what the government is talking about. It's one of the few areas which has consistently outgrown uh, the rest of the world and which will continue to grow because it is complete. It is competitive uh, in the sense that the goods that are produced there are going to cost less uh, for the same value that you're getting in other places. And this you don't have in the U.S.
4: or
1: Europe. Mm -hmm. And as Anna mentioned, the pandemic and crisis elsewhere in the world are having a big impact on the inflation numbers. But Dr. Chu, how is China going to manage the different tasks? One is to fight against the pandemic and another is to maintain the economic growth at the same time. How do you see China is doing it?
4: Well, actually, those targets are actually one target. Uh, Controlling the COVID is for the long term and stable economic growth and also with the long-term growth of the economy and then you can uh reversely control the inflation. Um the, for China they're trying to have a very unique way of doing so. Uh in most of the world um they have not controlled the covid in the first one or two years. They spread very fast, uh greatly affected the economy, so issuing the currency become one of the very important solution. Uh, I'm not arguing that's wrong, uh, and it's very effective in the short term. Help us to just to stop the bleeding out of the economy. That's true. But also issuing money at that pace and at that scale, uh, they do have a very, very strong impact for the long-term growth. Inflation, the chaotic order and the monetary policy that will hinder the long-term economic growth and output. China uh, on the opposite they managed to find another way. Uh, they try to control the COVID at the current cost, uh, suffer from the short-term impact, but also they try to, uh, limit the urge to issue the currencies so which guarantee that in the long-term, the economic order and the stability can be maintained. And so, and also if you find currently in China, uh, according to the numbers we have just seen, the manufacturing factor, sector, sectors have actually been seeing some good sign. The reason why for that is because China controlled very well after COVID. Even though we have certain uh, outbreak in some big cities, but in ind- industrial cities, um, most of the cities they don't have the COVID, so there's no one to take some days off. But reversely, on some other country, uh, once you have the COVID, according to the law, you take several days off your your workshop. Uh, so this disease spread very fast. So when half of your uh, workforce just take a day off. Basically, nobody worked in the workshop. So it uh, greatly hinder the productivity while China doesn't have cer- uh, such kind of a problem at the same time. So that guaranteed uh, China's productivity, So, which shows us while controlling the COVID is the right choice for the long-term growth.
1: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Xu, the government has also tried to help those uh, small and medium-sized enterprises with their finance and to help those uh, industrial factories get back to normal operations. So how effective have those policies been, uh, providing relief to the SMEs?
4: Well, to be very frankly, uh, well, China right now, they do pull off lots of policies. For example, recently, if you are... Having an enterprise in China, you will find uh, lots of policies have already been implemented. Uh, For example, if you issue any invoices right now, you will find where the tax rate uh, column now says tax free. So basically, you don't need to file taxes to the IRS anymore as an SME. And also, if you rent a building or just an office uh, from the SOE uh, developers, and basically, they will give you three months to six months rent-free period, help you going through the period of uh, difficulties. And also, uh, the local government have a lot of uh, project to help those uh, enterprises in need. But uh, it's not still not enough because Chinese government are very cautious at the monetary and the fiscal expanding. Um Probably people think, well, okay, just the, print the money and let everybody they have money and it goes through the period of difficulties, but actually this is not the truth usually uh in the normal order of the economy when you issue those money to a and a will use the money to buy products from b and b buy things from c and it's basically the same amount of money but if you issue the money directly to a b and c basically you issue like the money three times more than the normal demand so inflation will be the will be the result immediately. Mm-hmm. So the government don't want to see that and be very cautious. So mm-hmm. we're going to see more policies coming out of the pocket of the government.
1: Mm-hmm. And I so China's top economic planner also approved 38 fixed asset investment projects was over 78 billion US dollars in the first four months. So what's the role of this investment projects in today's economy, especially when we are facing the COVID resurgence and also the increasing downward pressure on the economy?
3: Well, this is one of China's main strengths, is that they can do this. Uh, If you were talking about the U.S., they talk about these things, but it'll take years before any of these projects are even started. Uh, It takes a very long planning process. China has uh, what we call shovel-ready. That means you give them the the money, they start digging tomorrow. And that creates jobs. So this is a stimulus factor that the uh, government is putting in. The key question, though, is how, what is the expected return on these hard asset inv- investments? Uh, if you build a road, is, there's always a return in terms of uh, values going up, trade being done, et cetera. So it's important that whatever these, uh, the, the projects themselves have a future return. If they do, then it's much better than what you saw uh, in the rest of the world where they, you know, over a two-year period, they gave away $10 trillion uh, US dollars worth of aid, but they have nothing to show for it. So I think I would agree with my uh, colleague that uh, the Chinese government is being very, very thoughtful, um, uh, very cautious as they go about this, but very determined. And that's, as I said, one of the strengths of China is its ability to plan and to react very quickly, uh, something that uh, many other governments around the world are not able to do.
1: And Dr. Chu, so how do you see the potential for the new infrastructure investments and what opportunities can the Eastern Data Western Computing Project bring to the economy of the less developed Western region of China?
4: Uh, well, first of all, we have already seen uh, successful cases before. Uh, in China, well, on one hand, we're not lucky because China still has half of the population and the territory remain not urbanized. But on the other hand, this is the good news for China as well, because it shows us more potential to improve our economy by having more of the infrastructures to improve the fundamental condition for the further investment in those lagging behind regions. For example, Eastern China are very densely populated, but with lots of mountainous area, not so many uh, flattened regions and the lack of energy raw material, but uh, Western China. It's very large territory and uh, rich of the energies resources and very uh, scarcely populated. And if we can put more of the uh, data center, computing center in the Western region where the power are generated, where the coals and oils are coming from. So we'll save lots of cost and energy to just to transmit the power, just to transmit the energy. And then their big space in the cheaper land can actually contain a larger computing house, a warehouse, data house, and etc. For them, they can use a very low cost to earn the money from the computing. And for the Eastern companies, they can save a lot of bucks and uh, and having the same quality of the service. So basically the win-win. The the reason why we didn't do that in the first place uh, earlier is because in the western region, western provinces, their infrastructures are very poor, don't have enough uh, energy supply in the local region, and they don't have a very good talent fleet, they don't have good roads, and they don't have a hardware supply and software supplies in the local region. So with the government help and the infrastructure improvement, I think they will have the capability to take over those infrastructures and the services from eastern provinces. And everybody can have a win-win result after that.
1: Mm. And we talk about investment, but I would also like to discuss about the foreign direct investment. So Aina, the FDI into China rose by more than 25% in the first four months compared, uh, of course, with the same period last year. So what are the main focal areas for FDI? A lot of FDI, it seems, like came from Germany. So tell us more about that.
3: Well, they're, they're doubling down on their production. I mean, Germany is uh, very intre- uh, has a tremendous footprint within China, especially in automotive and mechanicals. And they they're looking for markets, and China is, as I said, a complete market. If you don't produce in China, you're not going to be able to sell in China, except for very you know, high-end luxury goods. Yes, some people will buy an S-Class that is not made in China, but they're not going to buy the C-Class uh, if it isn't, because the price differential will be too great. So uh, they're looking at future markets because uh, they have to, uh, the growth in the United States and Europe is not expected to be anywhere near what it is, not only in China, but throughout Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. China is still very competitive in terms of its ability to uh, produce goods. Uh, there's also a lot of interest in, in tech, etc. cetera, uh, as my colleague, uh, Mr. Shura, has pointed out uh, The Chinese government is making sure that there's efficiencies. It's not just that they're going to separate energy-intensive industries into the western areas, but they're also upgrading the transformers uh, that allow electricity and power to be uh, transferred from uh, the western part to the eastern part, making things more efficient. And I think this is one of the areas where a lot of people should be paying more attention, and that is China is using this time period not to expand uh, production uh, necessarily, but to make their production more efficient. So when it does come out of the doldrums, when the world economy does come out, uh, does recover, China will be in a much better position to take advantage of that than com- countries that obviously didn't invest during this period.
1: Mm. And Ina, so China has been exploring digitalization on different fronts, from AI to metaverse. So what's your view on the digital economy's role as a driver of China's future growth?
3: Well, once again, this is an efficiency factor. Uh, To the extent that you digitalize things, you reduce costs. That means that companies can make a tremendous amount of money taking a very small portion. Things So you can expect transaction costs. Uh, The number of lawyers involved will go down. The number of accountants needed will go down. uh, The actual uh, transfer of money, uh, the the fees that are uh, attached to that will go down. This is what uh, the Internet has done. It is, you know... created mass uh, opportunities to reduce costs.
1: Mm-hmm. We're well, speaking with Ina Tangan, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Qü Qiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at UK and EU inflations are at record high. Stay with us.
4: Hello,
0: this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoy the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come.
1: You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. UK inflation hit a 40-year high of 9% in April as food and energy prices keep rising. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's government has come under pressure to help poor families facing a cost-of-living crisis. Meanwhile, the eurozone inflation also held steady at a record high of 7.4% in April. So I know the UK inflation jumped to 9% in April April. In real terms, for families, what does this look like? What does it mean?
3: It depends on where where you are in the pecking order. If you're at the bottom, uh, you're looking at either paying your rent or buying food. And I'm not not joking about this. With the uh, amount of the cost of energy, people, if it's a hot summer in Great Britain, people are not going to be able to run their uh, uh, air conditioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have to make very, very, very tough decisions. If you're middle class, it's going to be an annoyance. It's going to maybe cut down on your summer vacation funds, et cetera. But this is extremely serious. And, and I, I, I fail to understand why you know, Boris Johnson and the government there isn't, you know, jumping on this. I mean, they keep talking about uh, these issues as if they're fiscal and monetary issues. I've never heard of any fiscal or monetary policy that's going to grow a basket of wheat or produce a barrel of oil. Uh, these are things that uh, go to internal consumption and investment. This does not go to sh- real shortages of energy and food.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Chu, some blame the Bank of England. They say the Bank of England governor, Andrew Barley, apparently didn't act uh, fast enough to stem inflation when there were warning signs last year. Is that criticism fair?
4: Well, I don't think it's fair because as a central banker, they need to consider more of the issues rather than just standing on one perspective of the enterprises or the household or the government. They need to have a comprehensive view. Uh, well, the reason why we're having the inflation right now is mostly because we issue issued too much of the money to try to save the economy from the COVID. And before the COVID, already we've seen the global economy was slowing down to a very large extent. And the COVID just greatly, well, catalyzed the whole process. So we have a fundamental structure problem over the globe. And uh, right now... Um, We've been issuing so much money and immediately after we stop the disease in certain area of the region, and then the money will be translated into the rise of the price. And the rise of the price will be interpreted or seen as making more of the profit. But uh, we call it just the nominal growth, not the real gross, because you only see the number of the money you make increase, but not actually uh, the buying power of the money increased. So we call this whole issue, called, we call monetary delusion. And everybody think okay, we're doing pretty well and uh, we're making money. But uh, actually, the whole economy's recovery is not that solid. It's actually very fragile. So mm-hmm. at this point of time, you sharply raise up the interest rate. We're greatly shut off the whole economic growth and uh, make everything back to uh, the looming situation. So mm. central bankers doesn't want to see that, so they got to hit the brake very slowly, gently, with the caution, and the people just don't understand that. And but for the central bankers, they have no choices. So right now, I think most important reason, uh, the task for the Bank of England is to tame down the inflation first, and also for the all Western regions. You really need to work a way out with Russia to calm the situation down because this is the second reason for the high rising price. And after we saw the boast. Uh, of the uh, problems, and I think the situation uh, will be smoothened, and the people's life will be getting better for now.
1: Mm-hmm. So, know so inflation obviously isn't a UK problem. The US inflation rate is running at 8.3, Germany 7.4, France is running at 5.4. So how do you see this global issue? How do you compare them between those big economies?
3: Well, don't forget, China's at 2.1. So when you start comparing uh, inflationary effects, it has a direct bearing on the livelihood of the people within in your economy. And right now, China is doing better. Despite all the headwinds that we were discussing in the first half of this show, uh, the fact that its inflation is 2.1% is very, very telling. Because if you start going into these other places, and you look at inflation, what you can get on your dollar, they're actually going in reverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just the poor people who are having a problem. Uh, The whole economy is done. And I'm going to disagree a little bit with my learned colleague. I I I don't think that central banks can do anything about um, you know uh, inflation when it comes to a shortage. I do agree that the solution is to settle the uh, the Ukraine issue and get uh, foodstuffs and energy back on the peoples, but it's going to take at least a year. I mean, the spring planting season is over now. The winter harvest was not able to be taken in. That food is gone. You can't say, oh, well, you know, it will adjust the bank rates and that will produce more food. It won't. It's gone and it's, we're going to have to deal with it. The question is, is this going to extend into next year and the year after, if this kind of war continues?
1: And I know so one quarter of all the energy consumed in the European Union is coming from Russia and now they think they can cut it off. So can they get alternatives or what does it mean for the countries like Germany, which is very dependent on Russian gas?
3: Well, they came out with this plan, a two hundred and thirty billion dollar price tag, which is very, very uncertain, saying that they're going to in five years wean themselves off of, uh, Russian energy. Well, that sounds great, but five years is a long time. And in the meantime, what do you do? And they don't have a plan. Uh, you cannot replace 30% of the world's energy. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just not something, it's not a, a switch you can flip on and off or you just tell people to turn down their thermostats a little bit. That's not the way it works. They cannot replace the, uh, gas in particular. Oil is fungible. You know, if, if, uh, the Europeans can buy oil from other places. Um, and Russian oil can flow into those places. Remember, the majority of the world is not participating in these sanctions. So the oil can go to India, it can go to Brazil, it can go to Mexico, etc., uh, Indonesia, all over the place. Uh, that means less demand there in that oil. But gas, they cannot replace because uh, once you close those gas pipelines down, the existing capacity of LNG, liquefied natural gas, is set. You have so many ships, you have so many places where it can be compressed and so many places where it can be received and warmed up and put into pipelines. That is not something you flip a switch and it you know, it goes on. These facilities take years to make. Mm. Uh, right now, if you want to uh, L- order an LNG tanker, you'll be delivery in 2027. So uh, this is wishful thinking. They have to continue with the Russian... Uh, uh, gas and oil. And I think uh, public opinion is going to shift very markedly in, in six months when people realize just what a drain uh, this war is causing on uh, economies around the world.
1: Mm. Dr. Chu, as Ina mentioned, the European Union has announced a multi-billion dollar, the new energy plan to end its reliance on Russian gas by the year 2027. And the proposal suggests a faster switch to renewables, alongside saving energy and seeking new sources of gas. So it's easy to have a plan. But how likely is it going to work?
4: I, I have no doubt uh, there's switch to alternative source of energy or renewable source of energy was to, to, to be successful, that's for sure. And the whole globe of human beings are running after that goal. But uh, if they set up a timetable, say, okay, by 2027, I'm going to do that. Uh, I highly doubt it that's going to be uh, to be achieved. The reason for that is, uh, how can you do that? Because uh, right now, all of your house applicants, all of your vehicles, factories are fueled with gas or petroleum. And you cannot change the source uh, or the use of the energy easily. That's for one thing. And secondly, if you really want to push through these uh, changes, and you probably will build more a solar panels, uh, wind farm, and a nuclear plant, uh, which you demolished for a very long time. And even if you can do that, to change the law immediately to rebuild the nuclear power plant, and that's going to take more than five years just to get the plant in there, or if you want to find more resources like coal or other oil fields, that's also gonna downput billions of billions of euros and build up the factories and platforms and to drill out the oil and then use it. That's more than five years. So basically twenty twenty seven is just a political vision, but basically it's hard to be achieved.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Chu Qiang, the assistant director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University and also Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.